And in order to get started, we need a suggestion of something you can't eat. We have an awesome improv noise with Craig Kukowski on this one. Check it out. Improv noise! So you came, you came up from Chicago. Yeah. Right? And the, the vibe in Chicago is, is kind of foreign to me. I'm not as familiar. My family's from Chicago, but I, I only visited to see improv shows every once in a while. Um, how would you kind of describe that vibe from where you came from? Well, I started in Chicago in 92, um, and I moved there from uh, Virginia, where I grew up, and I um, I started improvising at college, uh, William & Mary. So the improv scene was still pretty small, I'd say, when I started. Right. Um, but the vibe was... The people who were doing it were just really intense about it. There was no sense that it could get you anything. Uh, I mean, maybe maybe I'm just naive and everybody else there was super ambitious at the time. And, right. you know, it was like, I'm heading straight to SNL, you right. know. Uh, but I, I don't think so, you know. We were just, uh, you know, I studied with Del Close there. Um, so I think it's, uh, it was some kind of mystical <laughs> At the time, but I, you know, I don't think it was artsy fartsy. Like you know, people mm -hmm. wanted to do comedy, right? Um, but it was just a bunch of people my age just embracing improv as a lifestyle choice, right? Living and breathing it, cool, so, like a, as a process. Yeah, I don't think it's really that different from any other scene, mm -hmm. you know, these days. But I think now it's just blown up, and it's, you know, I, I'd be daunted to start now just because of the sheer numbers, you know, wherever you go. Mm -hmm. But I, I would say Chicago in 92 was similar to what I'm seeing now, like with smaller scenes like Austin or right. uh, I, I've traveled a lot during the past year, gone to <laughs> Omaha, Oklahoma City, <laughs> Dallas, you know, wow. uh, and there's it's really cool to see that there's great improv scenes in just about any major city in the country and the people doing it are not that different than the people that I knew back when I started in in 92. That's groovy. Can I ask you, uh, what was the name of your team in college? Uh, in college, we were called IT. Oh. Or IT for <laughs> Improv Theater. So. Okay, that's a good name. That's a good college name. <laughs> yeah, it's not an embarrassing pun. Our last guest, her college team was Happily Ever Laughter. Uh. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Which is a great name. Okay. Um, My college team was called American Improv Company. Right. <laughs> I don't think that was ironic because I came in after the fact. And then they, as a slang, we call ourselves the improv thing. The improv and, thing. And I'm like, good. I'd rather call us that than the American Improv Company. <laughs> I don't know. Improv Company sounds kind of uh, prestigious. And yeah. Maybe a little pretentious. Company yeah. of improvisers. Yes. <laughs> the American improvisers. <laughs> uh, cool. So everyone, we're sitting here with the wonderful Craig Kukowski. Uh, improv veteran, uh, based out of L.A. for how long have you been in L.A. now? Eleven years. Eleven years. Before that, Chicago. Chicago right? for about eleven years. Also for eleven years. Nice. Split it right down the middle. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I got to head somewhere else now. <laughs> hey, New York, New York City. York? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. For you, man. I'm, I'm enjoying this bagel. 
Nice, yeah. New York's they finest. good bagels. Uh, uh, um, here in New York, uh, with your podcast, The Thrilling Adventure Hour, um, you are part of a three-prov team called Dazariski that performs at UCB out in L.A. Uh, you've done countless improv shows in Chicago and the I.O. during um, the earlier days up through, and then also the earlier days of I.O. West, right? Yes, I'm taking a bite of a bagel for the record, but uh, yes, that is a, a sign of agreement. You can also see him on television and film like uh, Veep, uh, Arrested Development, uh, Community, and you were on Drunken History this past summer, right? Yeah, Drunk History, we uh, we just found out there'll be a season two. I don't think it's officially been announced, so maybe oh. uh, you guys are breaking news on this, <laughs> this podcast. But yeah, I, we had a great time doing that show. We did eight episodes for the first season. We're going to do ten more for the second season. All right, congratulations. Thank you. That sounds really cool. Yeah, I remember watching. It's based on a Funnier Die series, right? Yeah, from, yeah. yeah. Same guy who created the Funnier Die series does the Comedy Central series, Derek Waters, and it's just getting somebody shit face drunk and having them recount a <laughs> uh, incident from history, and then we reenact it, mouthing their words verbatim. Nice, nice. Yeah, that stuff. I, I can't get enough of that stuff. That's yeah, I'm great. always very impressed with how much they know. Like it's them wasted is like more than my knowledge on the subject. <laughs> yeah. Well, they've boned up on it. You know, in some cases, it's something that they already were passionate about and knew a lot about. In other cases, they didn't know anything, but, you know, they learned it. Right. Uh, so, yeah, the fact, the, the two biggest assumptions that people make about drunk history that are wrong are they're not really drunk. Yeah, yeah they are. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what more, what more evidence you need than them puking and pissing and I think it's just everybody acts completely different when they're drunk from each other so yeah. like it doesn't fit somebody's concept of what drunk should be I guess and the other thing is uh, the stories are made up and none of them are they're all factually accurate and uh, other than obvious cases where it's kind of point out that they were <laughs> wrong about something but I think the uh, the historical facts are always dead on Wow, so it's educational. It is. Yeah, I'd like to think so. I'd show it in the classroom. <laughs> so um, uh, let's let's jump to improv. Yeah. So um, you uh, you came into improv. You obviously have been doing it, but you still are currently doing it. So you still have that desire. Um, what what are um, I guess from my earlier question? What what is if you're watching or if you're doing and you can make sure that you get one thing out of an improv scene? Um, what what would that thing be? I would just say to do something that I haven't done or seen before. And that's hard, that knowing I've been in it for 20 plus years, um, that I just want each scene to be specific and unique and memorable in its own way, you know. Uh, I think there's nothing worse for an old improviser to be like, oh, fuck, I've done this scene. You know? Right. In, in the middle of it, you know, the, the same sort of templates and setups and specifics will come back every mm -hmm. now and then, you know, because I'm still the same guy. I only have so many things in my head, <laughs> you know, but it's going to be different according to who my scene partners are, what the suggestion is, what the audience is like, what the vibe is that evening, what's going on in the world, you know, yeah. so all of those factors uh, can produce a unique scene and so I, I just really think that every scene just needs to carve out its own territory you know the 
early moments of a scene are kind of, uh, you begin with the infinite spectrum of scenes. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you say or do anything, and it now <laughs> is uh, only, there could only be a million scenes that could happen. Mm -hmm. And then you say or do something else, and then it narrows and narrows. Do you want to get to that unique point on the infinite spectrum that couldn't be possibly confused for any other scene? And I think a lot of scenes end, and it's like, well, it was still about 100 scenes. <laughs> and that's not that's not good enough. You know, you got to narrow it down to one. Yeah, that's interesting because uh, you were part of Close Quarters, right? Yeah. Um, and I read a quote about that where uh, where it's uh, some improv scenes kind of flower out, and uh, Close Quarters had like a moment, and then you would go through it almost like a threading or sewing. You know, you go through the same point over and over, and that's extremely specific. You know, that's like really like as far as like the spectrum of scenes, you're like this is the moment, and we're gonna flush. Yeah. That was that was a long form where you know if it was a hour long show we were covering maybe ten to fifteen minutes in real time. That's so cool. So you know scenes took place out of chronology. Uh, you'd see a character uh, enter a scene and then later you'd go back and see where they came from and then you would just keep kind of looping back through some of that stuff. So you really had to pay close attention and get a sense of what the chronology was. We were also playing with space, so you get a sense of what rooms are adjacent to what other <laughs> rooms and all that kind of stuff. So uh, that was an important moment in my improv development because it, it really made me pay close attention to everything that happened and to give it weight and meaning. I, I, you, uh, you definitely have a great. I remember, I did I did a workshop with you a while ago, and you did the really cool thing, which is uh, ask us our names once, really quick up top, and then know all of them immediately throughout the rest of the workshop, which I which I love a lot. So you you have a great attention to detail, and you remember that really well. Is that something that's developed over time? Is that a skill you've worked on? How is that? I think I've always been blessed with a good memory. Um, you know, it, I'm probably somewhere in the autism spectrum. I'm not, you know, not totally sure where. You know, yeah. on the higher functioning end, I think. But uh, I, I, you can't see that there's just cream cheese all over his face right now. <laughs> yeah, we did want to say anything, Brad. Remember, we talked about that. Maybe so, somewhere in the middle of the spectrum. Maybe you factor in the cream cheese. Uh, as a kid, I made lists all the time. You know, like I would listen to American Top Forty, write down the Top Forty songs, and. Yeah, I would memorize, you know, I, I always memorize stuff when I was a kid. I would memorize the presidents, the Oscar winners, whatever, any list that was out there. So you can wow. do, whenever someone asked you, name the 50 states, you could always knock that out, kind of? In alphabetical order? No, I'd have to visualize the map and go <laughs> down and over. And wow, that's how I would do but it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's some people who can do, do it alphabetically. So... I think already as a kid I was kind of cultivating the memory, but definitely, definitely years of improv has made it stronger and stronger. As far as like the students go, um, you know, a part of it is just that they're uh, they're important to me as individuals because the the type of teaching I do is kind of focused on them as individuals. Uh, I give them personalized notes each week, so I just want to get to know them as people, and then I can help them as improvisers. Um, I think the longer I teach, the less like dogmatic I get of like improv should be this and you need to do this um, because everybody's different and I just need to deal with the raw material that's there in front of me. I definitely have like my things that are important to me, but I'm not trying to mold them into one type of improviser or to images of me. You know, they can't improvise like me. I'm me. Right. <laughs> you know? yeah. the, so I got to I got to deal with who's actually there. 
like going back to what you said about narrowing down to exactly what scene it is, everyone's going to find themselves in their own place, right? At the end of that, it starts with a million, works its way down to a thousand, and everyone finds themselves to their own one that belongs to them. I think so, yeah. I, I, the last thing you want to do is try to please the audience or please the teacher or coach with your scene, you know. You're guaranteed to get it wrong every time. <laughs> try to guess what other people want. Uh, you got to do, you know, I tell my students this all the time, but it's easy to forget. Like, make your scene fun and interesting for yourself first. You can instantly tell when improvisers are bored with their own scene. <laughs> right. And how do you think the audience feels? Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Totally. Uh, and I, cause do you think that, uh, what do you think that is for an improviser? Cause if you're in rehearsal and you don't have an audience, you'll do a certain type of work. But as soon as you get on stage, you have the extra factor of the audience mm-hmm. and they can be laughing and encouraging you. Um, do you think it's more important to go for your, I, I don't even know how to verbalize it, but to go f- for you when you're performing and what does that mean to you? What's interesting, you, miss, you mentioned rehearsal, you know, and you mentioned close quarters before, because the uh, close quarters rehearsal process, that was some of the best work that I remember ever doing or seeing. And we were kind of younger improvisers at the time. We were all like, you know, mid-twenties. Um, and I think we were still in that place where in a show format, we'd be more likely to go a little jokier and sell it out because we, we had to please the audience. But in rehearsal, like, we did some really, like, serious and cool scenes and just, like, things that felt really deep. And that's when I th- felt like we made some quantum leaps forward. We didn't always pull it off in front of an audience, which is interesting. Yeah. Now, uh, and I still work with, you know, those Rich Tallarico and Bob Dassey are my regular partners in Dassarisky. They were in close quarters with me. Um, yeah, we'll still, you know... <laughs> go a little jokey uh, <laughs> sometimes when we panic but not very often and we usually just kind of do our thing and hope that the audience will come and meet us there and I was talking about this with a, a TV writer last night more about TV of just like how compartmentalized everything is now and everything has a niche audience and you're not going for the broadest audience possible so there's just a lot of things that have achieved popularity by being very much themselves you know uh, Louis, you know, like that's his comedy, and a lot of people have have come to admire that, and they love what he does, and it, you know, it's not like this broad thing that reaches all of America, but the people who love it really love it. Yeah, and so I, I think that seems to be true of like all art now, just the way <laughs> everything is is set up. So I, I definitely encourage improvisers just do your thing and people will come to you if you believe in in it enough yeah yeah i think there is a thing um, that seems that with the way media is and everything there's just way more opportunities and this is like i always call it we're part of the diy generation just do it yourself you know and um i guess it seems there's going to be a lot more options for people so it'll be um like i think uh pay will be less or whatever over time However, there'll be more opportunities for artists to perform and do their thing, which I think is a great direction I think we're heading in. I agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, let's change gears a little bit. You know, I, got, I got a chance to do a workshop with Rich Tallarico as well a while ago, and I've heard him in interviews and podcasts and, and talk about how he really doesn't like performing with people he doesn't know. Is that true? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right? He, he, he likens, he likens in like a, a, a improv team people he knows as... Um, 
the trapeze artists or something. Like, you can't play with a trapeze sub. You know, like, you have to have the people you trust do the trapeze. Yeah, because there's no net, and this guy's got to catch you, <laughs> you know, when you're 200 feet in the air and doing a backflip. Yeah, I, I always thought that was interesting because he's such an experienced improviser. I figured, because I know I like to play with as many different skill levels as I can, just want to play and see if I can make everything work somehow with who I am. Yeah. I'm wondering, um, what's what's your stance on that? Do you play with whoever? or are you I do. Also... I do shows in L.A. that are like student and teacher mashups. Oh, nice. um, I don't know if there's anything like that in New York. But, yeah, there's yeah. a Hot for Teacher, and they do a jam. Hot for Teacher. <laughs> awesome. There's a jams, yeah. Um, yeah, there's a show in L.A. called Cherry Pick where there's three uh, teachers, and then they draw five names out of a hat. Nice. Uh, and we just do a montage. Um I used to do a show called First Time with Khaki, um, and uh, it would be a mix of sometimes veteran improvisers that I'd never played with before, uh, and sometimes students. You know, so a student would ask me if they could do the show, and be like, "Sure, let's do it." And we do a half hour um, show. It could be a bunch of scenes, could be one long scene, whatever. So I, I do like that challenge of working with somebody that I've never worked with before. Um, you know, I understand Rich's take too. Uh, especially if, you know, he doesn't get that many chances to improvise. He wants to make it count. He wants to make it really good. But in, in terms of me just kind of continuing to, like, challenge myself, I, I like the unknown a little bit. And it's, <laughs> it's good practice just being able to adjust to different brains. Right. Like, everybody's brain works differently. That's another big thing I work with my students with is like don't assume that people are gonna get what your how your brain works. You know, <laughs> right. so much of uh, unsuccessful scenes is just two people just on completely different wavelengths, and they're not communicating with each other in order to say like, hey, I, I think our scene is this. Are we doing this? You know? <laughs> uh, and there's lots of little ways you can do that during a scene. Yeah, um, I prefer to whisper. <laughs> <laughs> You're supposed to be a clown. <laughs> yeah, that always helps. I yeah. Think. Uh, so you said you like to do new things. Do you think, uh, can I tag that onto the idea of like uh, pushing yourself out of your comfort zone to do scenes that you want, uh, making it a little bit more dangerous for you? Um, and in turn, do you connect that at all to the idea of vulnerability? Yeah, I think, well, I think improvisers need to be vulnerable, period. Um, How so? Because that's like, that's hard to say, you know. It is. I think, you know, one exercise I do is singing freeze tag, which is, you know, it's just, it's exactly what it sounds like. Okay. You got to sing all of your dialogue and it's so queer and you have to embrace the queerness of it a hundred percent and be willing to make yourself look silly mm -hmm. in order to make yourself look cool. Right. And improvisers who try to look cool just look like dicks. <laughs> they look like they're, they're too above it all, you know, unless you are so clever and witty that you can get by without ever showing any vulnerability or silliness. You know, if you're so just verbal and you can process things that quickly and just instantly just kind of poop wit out of your mouth, you know. And I, I've known maybe 10 improvisers in 20 years that can really do that. Mm -hmm. you know? I've known a lot of people think they can do it. <laughs> yeah. um, but for the rest of the people, like, you got to get physical you know you gotta play some characters every now and then you know uh you gotta be willing to lose you gotta be willing to get hurt right <laughs> you know 
Uh, you got to play characters that the audience is sympathetic toward, you know, just don't be a dick in, <laughs> in every scene. You know? Don't try to get by with wit alone. We have, uh, in New York, I think we call that ironic detachment. Uh-huh. Uh, is that a term that, that's around the improv community as wider? Or is that... No, but that's... Uh, yeah. Accurate. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, I know that's an issue. Like, I think I suffer from that, honestly, uh, a little bit. Uh, I almost liken it. Um, I have this thing where I play maybe high status a little bit too much, mm-hmm. and I almost liken all connection. Like, I've gotten a few notes from various people saying, Stefan, you need to expect, your character needs to expect to be where he is, just expect to be in the situation. And I almost liken that all related to a high status, ironic detachment sort of connection versus maybe I could choose. To, to do different choices, and that can be solved by expecting to be where I am. I think the most dangerous place for an improviser to get to is the point where you're comfortable enough and good enough and sharp enough that you can always recognize the thing that's fucked up about the scene, <laughs> the un- unusual element, the right. game, um, and you can always call it out and point it out, mm-hmm. but you can't do anything to help it happen more. <laughs> You know, yeah, right. So, like I see a lot of improvisers who are just like, "Hey, this is this is fucked up," and you get the laugh in the short term on mm-hmm. the call out, right? Um, but it's actually if you're playing straight man or whatever, it's your job is to help it happen more, <laughs> yeah, uh, and set up the other person, give them more opportunities to do it. The classic example I give is a job interview, and this is how a uh, a comedic seen job interview is different than a real job interview. A job interview, if a crazy person came in, you'd be like, uh, get the fuck out of here, you're crazy, security, you know, this interview's over. Um, but if it's a comedy scene, you want the job interview to last as long as feasibly possible, you know? <laughs> right. Um, so, you know, the interviewee is crazy, but the interviewer needs to just constantly feed them new stuff. Look at their resume, um, point out things about them. I noticed you're wearing a kilt. Uh, you've got some blood coming out of your ears. Mm-hmm. Um, it says here you went to clown college. Uh, your, your resume is a uh, is a bloody napkin. Um, <laughs> um, your social security <laughs> number is animal crackers. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So like, just keep giving them new stuff, and I think people play straight man, and they're just like, "Oh, you're weird. That's crazy. Stop doing oh, that." Oh my god. And you, you got to find other things you gotta find other ways of saying you're weird that's crazy stuff totally I I kind of view that as like business of the scene like as much as you can as a job interviewer to like just do the business of interviewing job and every detail you give he's gonna turn into or she (laughs) is gonna turn into like a like or it bit yeah or it wanna go there (laughs) so like that also kind of brings it into the idea of like plot and like if and completed action so if you are a job interviewer, you want to keep them in the room, so you can't really complete the interview, yeah. but you have to do things to keep it moving, right? Action. you got to find action to play. Uh, be in the place that you are and do the things that the characters would do. They're usually going to get derailed because it's a comedy scene, but you got to try to keep doing them. <laughs> and I think people try one tactic, it gets blocked, and they give up right away, or they just repeat that same tactic, which isn't going to work right. again. You <laughs> right. know? So you keep trying other things to move it forward. Mm-hmm. I know for me, that's definitely a thing I'm also working on. Is is It took me a while to recognize what's unusual about something, and then I had a habit of always calling it out, pointing at it. But then I had a conscious choice about six months, maybe a year ago, where I'm just like, you know what? I think the next part of my development is to recognize that, absorb it, and turn myself into some sort of a victim or something, or fuel it. Yeah. But it not not actually call it out. Call it out through action. It's really called out through a character point of view of yeah. some sort. You know. I 
there was a scene in my class the other night, uh, and it was like an older guy and a younger girl on a hike. And he said something kind of creepy to her, and, uh, <laughs> and she kind of called it out, you know, uh, partially as the character, partially as the improviser. She's like, that's a little creepy. <laughs> um, and what I recommended to her as a slight tweak to that is just say, and that's not creepy at all. Yeah. You know, which of like, because to me, that's a win-win mm-hmm. because you still call it out as creepy <laughs> by saying that's not creepy at all. But then you also don't turn it into a point of argument that needs to be discussed or analyzed in the scene. And I think scenes stop in order to analyze themselves. And that's really the writers talking. That's not the characters talking, you know. So of like that way, maybe she gets across that her character is feeling the creepiness, but the character is trying to have this hike, which is why she's there in the first place. You know, if she thought the guy was creepy enough that she, you know, she wouldn't have shown up in the first place to do the hike. You know, mm-hmm. so you can play the discomfort of that, and then the comedy is going to come from the tension and the contrast between what's happening and what's actually being said. But once you state the subtext of a scene, there's nothing to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just the writers have called out the thing that's interesting about it, and then the characters know everything the writers know. Yeah, and then there's nothing left to do. Yeah, because you you've labeled you so you label it, and then it's like, well, we can no longer show the audience that because they know. You yeah. know, they're expecting the creepy because I told them that's what this guy is all about. Yeah. Um, it seems easier to heighten that way too, right? If you call it out with like, "That's not creepy at all." Like that's the beginning of a lot of alarm of being able to hit it harder and harder and harder. Right? I think so, yeah. So, and I think the audience also enjoys when their intelligence gets respected, <laughs> and when things are obvious but aren't being said, they enjoy kind of that disconnect and that tension of like they they feel credited for getting it, and mm-hmm. when we point it out to them. They're like, yeah, duh, we get it. Yeah, that's like a magician being like, oh, and by the way, there's a mirror behind this box. Like, that kind of ruins the play of it, exactly. you know? Um, so what do you think uh, about point of view? Uh, do you think that point of view is a static item? Or do you think that you are you have the ability to be affected by a character and possibly not bail, but like change your point of view throughout a scene? Hmm. Well, I'm big on telling my students to stick to their point of view. I think it can morph, you know, slightly according to the circumstances of the scene, you know, but probably just incrementally, um, you know, if there's going to be a reversal of behavior or a change of behavior, you want to see it slowly and slowly develop over the course of a scene. But I think newer improvisers just tend to panic and they try one thing and they feel like it doesn't work and they try a completely other thing. You know, so they're like kind of all over the, the map there. Um, <clears throat> but generally, I think that comic behavior is just static behavior that keeps getting repeated. You know, mm-hmm. what, what I say is that in life, we change our behavior to fit the circumstances at all times, i.e. we're loud and obnoxious at a bar, we're quiet and respectful at a funeral. Uh, a comic character is the guy who's loud and obnoxious at a bar and at a funeral <laughs> and everywhere, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so then the comedy comes from the, the disconnect between the behavior and the circumstances and the fact that he's going to keep repeating that same behavior. I think in addition to that, too, we also see a truth in there, right? Maybe like when, when, when a guy is loud and rowdy at a bar and at a funeral, 
is that believable? Like, uh, technically, no, but also maybe yes. Maybe we know a guy. <laughs> we're like, God, that's Ricky. He'd probably be just like that or something. Yeah, I mean, it's an exaggeration uh, of, you know, but those things do happen in life, Yeah, you know, or sometimes we wish they could happen. You know? <laughs> so, like, it, it could be wish fulfillment uh, or it could be, you know, satirizing a slight behavior that sometimes you see in some people in life and we're blowing up, blowing it up to ridiculousness. Uh, a little bit. Hmm. Uh, do you want to maybe improvise? Yeah, let's do it. Right. Is that cool? Sure. Sure. When you uh, when you improvise, do you do an opening? Uh, it depends on the format. Okay. Uh, Dasariski, my three man show. We usually get a suggestion. We let the lights go out, lights slowly fade up, and we just start doing something. Okay. Well, we don't have the control of lights, but we can all close our eyes. <laughs> um, maybe I can sneak in real quick too. Before we, we, I think sometimes we play with a pattern game. I always love asking people this: What's your take on pattern game? Uh, well, tell me what you mean by that. Oh, first. okay. All right. Because I, I hear so many different things, and then the last uh, I've heard people be like, "Oh, I believe it the way it's just a pitch meeting with your friends at a bar, hanging out and pitching ideas about comedic premises, things like that." Where I've had other teachers and coaches were like, "No, you're talking too much. Relax. Just hmm. one or two words. Keep it, and then make it move on from there." You know. So it's interesting. It just seems like, and also I believe there's a school of thought where it should connect in loops, and there's a school of thought where it shouldn't. It should just keep pushing forward organically. If you find something great, if not, keep going. Don't worry about it. A pattern game, uh, as I as I've seen it done in New York, is usually just people standing there and just doing word association, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I think okay. with the goal of of fleshing out uh, premises and, and games, I believe. Cool. Yeah. yeah, I've never really done that. Oh. Um, the uh, I mean, the openings in, in Chicago are much more... I mean, there, there's an element of word association sometimes, but they're usually physical and everybody's more kind of... Uh, it's a little more emotional and physical. And uh, L.A., I don't really know what the Herald teams are doing uh, <laughs> with uh, openings. Uh, nowadays, openings are always a... Uh, I, I mean, I'm big on openings for Herald. Uh, now they call them organic openings, uh, in my day, we just called them openings, which meant you got a suggestion and then you just started doing something and you would turn it into, you know, you'd find patterns and you'd break down your suggestion and find other kind of sub themes that you were then going to explore in the show. And that was an opening, but it was never, there wasn't a pre-planned structure to it. You just kind of follow what was happening. Um, and then somewhere along the line, I think maybe people started doing more set openings, um, like the pattern game. Uh, and then the thing where you just kind of make it up on the spot started to get labeled an organic opening <laughs> and then people started to not like them I think because of like it sounds like it's good for you of like nobody wants to do something that's good for you <laughs> like oh it's organic you know and uh, <laughs> and uh, I think also just like people are scared of the unknown uh, and they want that you know structure that's gonna right send them home yeah yeah Feel All of which to say, I'll I'll do whatever. I don't care. <laughs> nice. No, I was just curious. It. I'd yeah. love to hear uh, people's opinions on that. You yeah, know? Uh, it is interesting how that's developed. You know, and 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 how many different ways there are to rip apart an idea. I mean, my feeling on openings that get a team, you know, within a show, uh, is it's kind of like your warm up hidden within the show. It's a chance for everybody to check in with each other, get on the same page. Um, it's kind of like you know, it's like a football huddle. 
<laughs> of like, okay, guys, we're going to run these plays. Yeah. That's basically what you're doing. I think totally. we just invented a new opening, by the way. The football. <laughs> the Tied up the show, yeah. <laughs> we decide our beats. We hit them. Brad, uh, you got to swing by with the edits, man. You got to do it. <laughs> Or the other thing I like is like acapella groups. Uh, if you ever watch an acapella group, you see how much eye contact they make with each other. No. It's like a one, two, three, four, Note that I'm making a lot of eye contact. Yeah. Yeah. That would be uncomfortable to me. But I'm not an acapella man. Yeah, I don't there's know. a certain yeah. intimacy to acapella groups that is tangible. And I love there's probably definitely a lot of rivalries. Nothing but rivalries in that. You think so? Oh yeah. Really? Yeah. Everybody's for, got their part, you know, you have the tenor and the bass and not within the group, but between groups. Oh yeah. There's four part groups and then they all like my baritone's lower than your baritone. I don't know, but That's the trash oh, talk. Pitch <laughs> perfect. It was a movie. There's a yeah. new sequel. <laughs> Really? It's a real I, thing. I actually heard it was a good movie, honestly. That, that was pretty funny, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. I gotta check that out. Mm-hmm, definitely. Gotta get the acapella group started. <laughs> That's what you're taking away from this. <laughs> uh, uh, so let's just go organic. Yeah, let's, let's, ride, let's roll up into it. Um, our suggestion is pillow. And, uh, thread count. Thread count's a new thing. Yeah, thread count's pretty important. I never knew that. When did that... Was that count always a thing? I don't know. Like pressure from the hotels. Interesting. This has like a 200 thread count. I don't even know if that's good. Yeah, me neither. I was... Uh, I came to buy new sheets and she said, make sure I get a good thread count. I don't know what that means. But... Are you guys... Uh, you guys uh, oh. finished shopping? Can I help you guys with something? Yeah, we actually were just talking about something. What? What's your... Help us out with thread count. We don't know what the... Oh, thread count. Yeah, my... My buddy's trying to impress his new girlfriend. Oh, really? Get some soft sheets, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, she complained about the old sheets, so I had to get new sheets. Yeah, well, it's probably because you have a low thread count. Uh, thread count's pretty important. It's how many threads there are per cubic inch. Through cubic inch. Cubic okay. inch. Cubic? Right. And so you want more. You want you want the denser you want the denser thread count. And that's, okay. That makes a big difference as far as like how you uh, lay on the sheets and the, the slipperiness of the sheets. And, uh, yeah, I'd recommend going no lower than 400. The slipperiness of the sheets? Yeah. Slipper. 400. Wow. 400. Okay, these were 200 here, so these are clearly out. Well, I mean, how, how great's your girlfriend? How's ni- how nice is your girlfriend? Uh, it's a little personal, but um, I really like her a lot, honestly. I, it's not a secret. I really do. Okay. Is it is it love? Yeah. Uh, I don't feel comfortable answering that in a mattress store. But um, honestly, maybe. I don't know. Uh, pr- probably. I think I'm gonna maybe. Barry, you've been dating her for two weeks. <laughs> I know, but I love her. I, okay, I've got. Hey, everyone in this mattress store, I'm in love with my girlfriend. Okay, so you got it out of me. I love her. I'm, so, I'm sorry. I just. There's yeah. only like one other guy here. Yeah. Sorry. He looked kind of upset. Yes. Okay. So uh, sounds like you're you're pretty close. Um, although it doesn't really sound like she's the quite the one. I'd probably recommend something around maybe like Why would you 500. Say that? I'm just kind of judging. You kind of second guessed yourself. Then you felt the need to like over emphasize the fact. I don't know. I mean, uh, that type of guy normally gets about a 500 thread count. What do you? Can I ask what you personally have? Me? Yeah. Recently divorced. I got a 300 thread count. Okay. <laughs> But well, I'm I, a single bachelor. If I have a 200 thread count, doesn't that mean like that's appropriate? Yeah, I mean it is. But if you want her over to your place, you want to let her know that 
she's really special to you, I'd get something. I'd I get am trying to lure her on sheets. I, I'd love to buy this 500 Thread Crown sheet, but I just don't have that kind of money. It's like $129. Yeah, he runs a independent record store. Yeah. Oh, do you? Yeah. The flop, right? No one goes to it. it is <laughs> yeah, like, I never. I thought that place was closed. No, it's yeah down. Yeah, it's oh, still, it's still open. The, it's still there. Yeah, I can't remove the eviction sign on the door. I paid the rent. It's fine. The lights are on. But but you got to come in. I'm he buys you. and sells. If you have any old vinyl, yeah, I'll buy them. Really? Yeah, I'll try to sell them. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I could I could be interested. In I that. sold him uh, Frampton Comes Alive the other day. That's a great one. That's yeah. A, great live album really yeah and then another guy came in later and sold me the same album I loved it so much I bought it twice listen I can't help but notice you've been very helpful but I, do you do this to all the customers that come in here yeah you just judge them yep well I I try to evaluate them like uh, you sir I, I'd say that you are currently in a long term relationship maybe uh, maybe two to three years uh, you're kind of getting to that point where you have to either like commit all the way or like hit the ejector seat. That that is oh, spot on. Jesus Christ! Right? How did you know that? Well, I could I can kind of tell. I can kind of tell. I've been think, thinking about breaking up with Alyssa. What? I've been thinking about breaking up with her. You never told me that. You just gave me the encouragement to do so. Well, we cut to uh, we cut to uh, tr- uh, Martin's apartment. <laughs> <laughs> hey, how was buying sheets with uh, Greg? Uh, with Barry? With Barry. <laughs> <Our episodes. laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I thought you were with Greg today. No, I wasn't with Greg. Oh. I haven't How's... hung out with Greg in weeks. <laughs> Do you even Greg? know me anymore? <laughs> Honey, I'm sorry. I thought you were with Greg. I'm talking about Greg. I don't time. like Greg. <laughs> what? Okay? That guy is a dick. We cut to Greg's house. I wonder when he's going to call. wonder when that phone's going to ring. Hey, Greg, did you fucking drink all the milk and not replace it? God, it's I had cereal, okay? Man, how many fucking times I gotta tell you when you drink the you, you finish the milk, you replace it. Get, God, Greg, you're such a dick. Get off the phone, man. I'm trying to talk. I'm trying to get a call from Martin. I don't want you tying up the phone lines. Get a cell phone, asshole. <laughs> Stop being dependent on our landline. Cut back to Martin and Alyssa. <sighs> God, well, how was things with Barry at least? Uh, you know, it was good. It was, it was a really nice uh, high-end mattress and uh, and sheet store. I have I have some news for you. Oh, I have some news for you. What should should I go first? Do you want to go first? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, you go first. I'm late. I think I think I'm pregnant. What were you gonna say? I, nothing. <laughs> nothing at all. Uh, we cut back to the mattress store. Wait, so now you want six hundred counts? Yeah. She? Uh, whatever the highest end thing you have is. What happened, man? I, I really see. thought that you were driven, that this was a good choice for you. Uh, well, he just wants whatever uh, thread count she didn't get. Shut up, Greg. <laughs> you know Greg, too? Yes, I do know Greg. God, this guy sucks. We haven't hung out in so long. Yeah, I'm, I'm the other Greg's roommate, Greg. <laughs> man, I love living with other dick Greg, man. <laughs> you guys are both dicks. Hey, you just fucking judge people in this store? There's only one other guy in this store. What gives you the right to judge people in this mattress store? It's what I do. I can't help it, okay? Your, your son keyed my car, man. Yeah, I know. I told him to. I gave him a set of keys. <laughs> Excuse me? What happened What happened with your with your lady? I'm going to be a dad, okay? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You hate my kid? 
Greg, Why would you, don't make this about you. It's not about you, Greg. Sexually set a fucking bomb. I can't let some asshole hate my kid. God, I'll key, I'm going to have him key your car again. <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that. Okay. And see. And see. That's when we'll input the explosion sound effect. Oh, yeah. That's how we'll edit out all the scenes. Uh. <laughs> Either that or our radio call sign. And also just the typical ambient noise of a mattress store. I think <laughs> everyone knows what that sounds like. With uh, walking on the on the finished floor in the background, things like that. Right. Linoleum floor? Oh, those floors. It always yeah. weirds me out. People are afraid to lay down in a bed in mattress stores. I always love that. It's like my favorite part. That's what they're there for. Yeah, people like sit on them and like feel it with their hands. It's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Maybe that's how they sleep. <laughs> You're right. I shouldn't judge. Yeah, yeah, everybody sleeps a little different. Some people just kind of like gradually around the night just kind of pat the bed and walk around. <laughs> All right. Well, the that was fun. Um, that was fun. Now I'd be interested for you to like, if you were able to, just like I know you were in the scene, but to objectively step back and kind of like hash out what's what. Well, you know, I <clears throat> we talked about kind of just like scaring ourselves uh, <laughs> and, and, and vulnerability. I think we started talking a little more just about kind of just be willing to kind of get your hands dirty and be silly. But I think. Vulnerability for me is also, like we said, like working with people I haven't worked with and maybe doing formats that I don't do that often. Um, like I don't do uh, ASCAT that often, but when I do, I it, it scares me mm-hmm. um, because it, it's a faster, gamier style than I usually do. You know, Dasariski or Quartet, my two main shows, we usually have 45 minutes to an hour. It's slow play, mm-hmm. you know, very character-based, um, relationship-based kind of stuff. Um, and it's not to say that one thing is more valid or better than the other. Um, but it's like, I know what I'm comfortable doing. And so like, I'm kind of slow to a fault, uh, (laughs) at this point, you know? So, uh, so I was kind of approaching that like it was the beginning of a Dasariski show, you know, Mm -hmm. where even like the mattress salesman, you know, he's a guy that we can follow into his life, you know, and that's, you know, some people would be like, oh, isn't that a transaction scene? It's like, well, only if you're trying to make the transaction the interesting thing, right? you know, Mm -hmm. to make the characters the interesting thing of like, yeah, one of them could be a salesman, you know, (laughs) Uh, like everybody up there is is interesting and worthy of, of being followed, you know, so when you said you were recently divorced, uh, I, you know, I thought that was great. And I want to jump into that guy's life a little bit. I imagined him just kind of like with a, a shitty tie and vest and, uh, and uh, really kind of thick, you know, Freddie Mercury mustache, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Nice comb over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I like that. Uh, I like that turn you took um, where you were talking about uh, your relationship. Um, that was the. Uh, that was definitely the opposite of a jokey turn. It was like you definitely went for like some meat, or at least that's what it seemed like. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Uh, otherwise, it's going to hinge on like the th- the, you know, the thread count and the transactional elements, and all that stuff is good. You know, it's st- it's specifics that we can play with. 
Uh, but if the characters don't have any depth and if the characters don't have any distinction from each other, mm-hmm. you know, so it, it felt like if we really, if that really was going to be a longer show, we just kind of like go and in, delve into the lives of these three guys, you know, <laughs> and I like that they were in different places of like, I'm in a long term committed, you know, girlfriend relationship. You have a new girlfriend. You're recently divorced. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then even like the peripheral characters like Greg and Greg. <laughs> 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 I did that cut in right away, but wait a minute, I was not Greg. <laughs> and that could happen of like uh two Gregs can be uh roommates, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's that reality. I think that's the thing. Absolutely. Multiple Gregs. It has to be. Yeah. I was definitely in my head the entire time. I'm just like, yeah, is this too quick? Uh did I uh, should I flush that a little bit more? Yeah. I gotta stop laughing. I got you know what I mean. I've got a million things going on. In yeah, my what head. you didn't see is Craig and I were doing incredible physical work. <laughs> Stefan was amazing. I was yeah. leading, standing there with his hands in his pockets. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was really impressed. Yeah, I really saw the sheets that you were folding. You know? <laughs> Thank and you. I saw Thank that you. thread count. You saw how yeah. it was a fitted sheet, so it was like a little bit more difficult. Yes. It's tough to fold a fitted sheet. It is. And is that I, true cubic inch? That's the can't be a Or is that bullshit? Yeah, totally on my ass. <laughs> cubic. Uh, cubic, cubic, yeah. That yeah. makes no sense. Be, I, think, I think, though, it sounds about right if it was per square inch. Maybe. Yeah, something yeah. like that. I don't know. Let's make up what we know about thread count. Yeah. Uh, I, I was also in my head because I'm like, let's get it off. Like, I use thread count to get started. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, now as soon as we can, let's make sure to get off thread count, kind of. That was my instinct. And I think we did, you know. Uh, thread count ended up being a metaphor for how we relate to women. Nice, yeah. You know? Yeah. So how? what advice would you give if you are stuck in a scene that's totally surface? It's like two people talking about a thing, hopefully not what they're currently doing, but maybe. How would you suggest, like, kind of focusing on different aspects of the characters? Or, like, what move would you recommend to get out of that very surface type, like? I think just to make something important. And make something personal um, and you know have something just have a lot of meaning for your character uh, Del Close call it paranoid response which is like assume that anything said in an improv scene no matter how mundane has the maximum amount of meaning and just interpret it that way um, so you know it it's not literally that the character is paranoid. It's more like the improviser is paranoid of like, oh, what do you mean by that? There's a hidden meaning behind what you just said. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're always kind of delving uh, deeper beneath the surface, uh, and I, I think that's how it stays surfacey is like people don't give it that higher meaning, you know. Um, you want a Coke? Sure, man. You want a Coke? A Coke? A Coke. Oh, God. <laughs> you know... <laughs> You know that I'm trying to avoid high fructose corn syrup. You know that. (laughs) Um, And so now it becomes a scene about, you know, one person's trying to diet or or whatever, and the other person doesn't take it seriously. You know, they're still trying to live, you know, their college years where they're partying, you know, uh, drinking and smoking and eating food that's bad for you. And this other person's trying to, you know, get healthier and live a better life. Right, and the Coke is the centerpiece of that. Yeah, (laughs) or at least the entry point. Right. Um, It's, uh, you could view it as like a symptom. Like Coke is a symptom of the larger problem going on in our relationship. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the other way that it might stay surfacey if you don't get beyond the Coke, you know, rather than treat it as the first of 10 symptoms that we're going to explore over (laughs) the course of that. So, you know, that's one way that I teach heightening games, just like you find whatever the next symptom 
is, you know. Right. Nice. Eventually, in the store, we'd probably move on beyond the sheets and like you know, the you know whatever the give of the mattress is or mm-hmm. whatever you know the plushiness of the pillows. You <laughs> know? Mm-hmm. And Which, how that relates to the three of us and our personal relationships. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Like ah, I need something hard. You know, I'm still a bachelor. What's the hardest <laughs> mattress you got? You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, how I make it, myself suffer. <laughs> uh, I know. Um, also, uh, through like. Um, listening to podcasts and things like that i know it's an important stress with dazariski is the fact that you guys know things right like like nothing is really a certain amount of information is rarely a surprise you tend to your characters always know choose choose, choose to, to know. know yeah um that's one of my mantras in improv it's an exercise that i teach in my class we do scenes where you literally say i know at the beginning of every line mm-hmm. it's kind of similar to yes and but i like i know a lot better because it forces you to delve deeper into what is already there um, people with yes and were making more lateral moves. Like we need to clean the bathroom. Yes, and we need to clean the kitchen. When mm-hmm. I hear you're listing off things now, we don't know why you needed to clean the bathroom. Right. Um, so it, I know, forces you to investigate what's already there. Right, which is being very specific. Like I know we need to clean the bathroom. It's covered in mold. Yeah. Right. And, and mold is the next thing on my plate to deal with. Right. Um, like how you know what does the mold look like? How the mold get there? Who's responsible for the mold? Right. You know? So zeroing in once again. That's similar to what you said and earlier. Narrower and narrower. Narrower, narrow, narrow. So it's improv is a, a moment. I heard a quote. Where it's like you know in in TV it's and movies it's a lot about plot. It's a lot about like story, but improv is kind of like a painting where it's just like a thing, and then you kind of like live within that thing or like discover what that is special about that individual like painting of a moment. Is that anything that resonates or? No, I think that's cool. Definitely. <laughs> um, I mean, I, again, it depends on your format, depends on the pace and the length that you're playing in. I do, you know, the Dasariski shows that we do end up usually do telling a story of sorts, but here's how, how what I would distinguish between story and plot Story is just like whatever unfolds in front of the audience. Plot is when the characters talk about the story that they're in. Whoa. Mm-hmm. So, uh, again, it's like you don't want to hear the writer's voice too much in it. And you don't want the characters to become self-aware that they start talking about the story that they're in. Just be in be in your life and yeah. let the story unfold. Yeah, like I, I, I try to catch TJ and Dave every time they come into town. And that's very much like there's yeah. very much a plot to their shows. But they're not trying for plot. Are yeah. They, yeah they're oh, absolutely. Fleshing out they're the more in the taking things moment by moment than just about any other group that's out there. They're in New York this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. I unfortunately missed it, but I try to catch them whenever whenever they other times they come in. But if you after their show, you could probably summarize what happened story wise. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it wouldn't necessarily sound interesting as a story. You know, it, it might, according to the specifics that are there, but that they're not worried about that. You know, right? Yeah, I mean, I saw a whole show. I think they're just two dudes in a cabin in the woods. I think that was mainly the point. That's practically the plot of the show. Yeah, they were there for National Geographic or something, which was so fun. But yeah, that's not what I found interesting about the show. Yeah, yeah. even though it was simple and nice, you know. Yeah. Um, but going back a little bit, so with the I know and the paranoid response, to me, that seems like that's something you'd have to balance, right? Or is that, because of a paranoid response means you didn't really know that. Or, or, or scratch that. You knew something, but it gave you an emotional response of something both of your characters knew together. Yeah. Well, I like things like, you know, the, the mattress guy was like, your, key, your kid keyed my car, you know. <laughs> 
So of like, because you're a transactional sort of character, you could, you know, just choose to be, I don't know any of you guys and, you know, but it it started to give it more, a little more of a small town feel Mm -hmm. then, you know, and maybe we do know this mattress guy, you know, or at least we, you know, we could know his family. We know stuff about him. He's got the local ads on Sunday. Come on down to... I forgot what character's name was, but that's uh, so it's a mattress story. Yeah. yeah, I think it was Garfunkel. I don't remember exactly. <laughs> you just knew that. Yeah, yeah. it was on my it's name good. badge. I, uh, I saw that. I saw how you created that name badge. Yeah, it was so good. Straightened it. Stuff. I <laughs> so, uh, what's the difference between like taking something personal and having that paranoid thing, and picking apart an idea and being like, "Oh, he's giving me a coke. Now I'm going to think about everything a coke can mean, and I'm going to just like intellectually pick it apart." And then, I guess, compared to the reaction, I guess. Well, I think it's what does what does a show need or what does the scene need okay. at that point, you know? Okay. If it's been kind of static emotionally, then, you know, maybe it needs an outburst of some sort. If, you know, it's the acting and writing balance in improv. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're doing both simultaneously. Um and sometimes you need a little more acting. Sometimes you need a little more writing. You know, some, you know <laughs> there's some people who are like from the beginning of like, oh, their performances are there. Uh, they've chosen characters. They've chosen emotions, points of view. But you don't really know what's happening in the scene. You need some more specifics mm-hmm. and details. And that's the writing that you got to shade some things in with. And some scenes of like the ideas are big. You know, the specifics are good, but you know, it's not that interesting to watch. So you got to right. amp up your performance. A little bit, so I think good improvisers really have that perfect blend of of acting and writing. Wow, very cool. Yeah, uh, I guess maybe that blend gets discovered over time with yourself, right? That's something like I wonder. It was uh, I think some tend to lead to be writerly, and some tend to lead to be actorly, right? Totally, and uh, you know it depends on your background before you you know started improvising. Uh, in New York, I'm, as in L.A., I'm sure you've got a blend of you know, people who are purely <laughs> one thing. of Like, you know, the people who are comfortable on stage, uh, but they don't know how to give a gift and they're afraid to get specific in the scenes. The people who have, like, wonderful minds, but they're just kind of standing there and mumbling. <laughs> <you know? laughs> um, so I think so, some people need to kind of work on their performance chops and get more comfortable in front of an audience and be more interesting to watch right. and to uh, to listen to. Uh, and other people need to think about their content a little more. Mm-hmm. Something I've always been like, I'm wondering, uh, did, did you study, uh, do you have a, did you study theater in college? Do you have a, I did. I was a theater major. Yeah. yeah. I did plays and stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm curious as to really start taking like voice and movement classes and things like that as well. Like, uh, Alexander and things like that. And I think yeah. I've heard that a few times. Did you ever delve into stuff like that? Did you ever study that kind of stuff? Yeah, I did Alexander technique, um, William and Mary wasn't like a conservatory program, so like we just had kind of like a broad range of, of stuff. Right. Um, and uh, I think, you know, singing, like voice classes right. help, like dance classes, yoga, like any, <laughs> anything that just gets you in touch with your body. Martial arts, maybe. Martial arts? Yeah. <laughs> sure. Tumbling. Can't, can't hurt. <laughs> Because uh, I even did this weird thing, shows you kind of maybe my autism scale a little bit, was because uh, I, I have friends that maybe don't really know that. or, or So I went to an improv show once and I put my hand over everyone's head, kind of. I just looked at all their bodies, you know? And I stressed, like, which improvisers could really speak with their bodies better than the other improvisers. Mm. And I mentioned that was like, 
that kind of inspired me a little bit to make sure to work on my nonverbal communication and how I move my body on stage and how I think really effective that is. At IO West in LA, um, at the bar, uh, there's a monitor of the show, but the, there's no sound. Hmm. So you can watch whatever's currently going on in the theater. And I love to be able to look up at a monitor and get what's going on in the scene when it's silent, uh, <laughs> just by people's body positions and what they're doing with their faces and their movement. Uh, otherwise, again, it's, it's all wit, <laughs> you know, if, if that doesn't translate. Nice. Um, cool. So I think before we wrap it up, maybe we can go into our final segment. All right. Which is questions from the community. Okay. Uh, I think we've, <laughs> we had like a, uh, uh, we put like an anonymous <laughs> question account up, which I had to kind of backlash because yeah, people good. are asking us terrible questions. Um, <laughs> uh, 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 we got a couple of real questions though. So okay. I'll ask good. those. Uh, uh, it was kind of jokey, but word for word, the question was: uh, Gold bond? Does gold bond increase your creativity? And what kind of prep time do you? What kind of prep do you do before game time? <laughs> it was a weird question. So I guess let you me can translate, translate that. that. Yeah. Like what? How do you warm up? Pretty much before a show. How do you get ready before a show? Are you, you at that? Yeah, what is gold bond? Uh, isn't uh, that the medicated powder? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or a cream? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I think he's just whoever anonymous person. Dryness for your private parts. I think. Douchebag. Yeah. But it inspired me to ask what, because I know with me, like, for a while I used to warm up all the time. And now I just like conversating with a good friend before I started improvising, you know. Well, yeah, the people I play with, uh, we're friends. We've known each other for years. Um, we usually will meet up 15, 20 minutes before the show at the bar. Maybe we'll have a drink. We'll just kind of check in with where, where our weeks have been and what's been going on. Um, and sometimes we'll do something like a one word story. We'll just do, you know, a little mirror game or whatever, mm -hmm. just something small and queer like that. Um, I, you know, I, I like doing warm ups of all sorts. And if I guest with a group and they have a big, stupid warm up that they do, I'll do it with them. Of like, who am I to say, of like, no, that's, I can't do that. It's called stupid. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, that's their thing. And so I'll, I'll, Join them in it. That's yeah. cool. That's, that fits with your theme of putting yourself out there. And not being a dick, you know, of like there's veteran improvisers that I've known are just like, I don't, I don't warm up, you know. And it's like, you know, fake it. You know, fake, <laughs> fake it for five minutes, you know, because it, it takes too much energy to, you know, just kind of shut down the room and say, like, I'm not going to participate in whatever this thing is. You yeah. Know? So how do I know that you have my back during the show? Right. Then, if you can't even you say know. yes to the warm up. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, we have some other questions, too. Mm. Uh, chocolate or vanilla? Vanilla. Nice. So you don't do the swirl. You prefer vanilla? Oh, I, we, that wasn't given as an option. <laughs> yeah, it, it no, was it chocolate says, or vanilla. <laughs> let me read out the question. Chocolate or vanilla? Don't give me that swirl bullshit either. Oh, okay. What's the yeah. question? Vanilla. Vanilla. <laughs> nice. Uh, and then I actually have, uh, what's the difference between a bunch of no-talent ass clowns and the people behind improv noise was a question we got. Just thought I'd put that out there. You don't have to answer that. I'd like to answer that. Just want to put that out there. Uh, and then we got a question that I'd love to ask. <laughs> No talent ass clowns don't even bother. <laughs> Thank you. you. Know? Thank you know, you. they don't put themselves out there. Thank right. you. That's a great answer. So, <laughs> fuck you, anonymous guy. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, God, the explicit tag. Um, 
we got a question, and I'd love to just take it however you want to take it. I actually don't exactly know how to analyze the question. But it was, what's the difference between being in the moment and being able to recognize what the scene is? Question mark. Mm. Now, yeah, I'll just let yeah. you... Throw it up. You know, very simple improv um, game, like a level one... Uh, week one of level one is one word story where you stand in a circle and you tell a story one word at a time. And I like it because it promotes short term, medium term and long term listening. Short term is the word that you're about to say. Medium term is the sentence that you're in. Long term is the story that you're in. So similar when you're in a show, you're in the moment, you're in the scene and you're in the show. <laughs> so you a good improviser can and that that's in descending order of importance. The most important thing is the thing your partner just said. Right. You shouldn't be so worried about how the Herald's going to end a half hour from now that you miss the last thing your partner said. Yeah, totally. um, but good improvisers can hear the last thing said. They can be conscious of the arc and the game of the current scene that they're in. And they can be conscious of the larger themes of the piece that they're in. And so you just have to compartmentalize your brain in the way that you can take care of all three of those things at once. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm not so in the moment or deep into character that I'm like, whoa, how, how long was I up there? You know, <laughs> uh, like, you know, because again, part of me is a writer too. Part of me is out there in the audience watching the scene that I'm doing. Right. So you need that part of the brain, you know, that, uh, that can observe from the audience's point of view uh, as well. And I think it's unfortunately just one of those trial and error and, you know, <laughs> things that you have to do in years and years of improv to get better at that. And again, I'm like, I think there's people that are, like, I can tell that they're thinking about the big picture because they're just, they're ham-fistedly trying to do a callback mm-hmm. that, yeah. you know, that they hadn't earned or they, they didn't express well enough. So nobody knew it was a callback, right. but of like, it's because they're trying to tie things together and do the themes of the piece, right. but they had no sense of the moment, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, of, or and how to present that. There's some people who are like funny moment to moment. But you have no, you, you can tell they have no idea where their scene is going, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they just constantly say a bunch of isolated funny things, um, but it's not funny things that build uh, off of one another to create a coherent scene. So, again, you need to deal with what that improviser's strengths and weaknesses are and steer them toward getting better at the other part of it. I would maybe I can liken that to something a little bit earlier. I would say because I, I have I've I talk with uh, improv friends of mine about. Uh, really having an ear to that audience, really connecting with the response you're getting from the audience. Or some people say, oh, I'm totally disconnected from the audience. Not Maybe disconnected is the wrong term. But I'm so in my moment, I'm not really realizing what the responses I'm getting. Um, so I'd imagine maybe more of a writerly mind would have his ear very close to the audience and an actorly mind would have his ear far away from the audience. Hmm. Is that too broad of a statement? No, I think that's cool. Uh, I don't really buy people who say they, you know, they tune out the audience or whatever. Because I mean, <laughs> that's what live improv is, right. uh, and the audience is very much a part of those rhythms. Um, and I think you need to be conscious of the rhythms that the audience is creating and where the audience is laughing. You know, uh, I think I mean it's a way of saying of like I'm not going to pander to the audience or I'm not going to you know sell out to them or whatever. But I think just being conscious of their presence and the way that they're contributing to the scene is important mm-hmm. nice uh, that should probably wrap it up right do you have any other questions right now? yeah one more um, Craig I was wondering if you could say improv noise is number one say what improv noise is number one why why do you want me to say that alright 
Uh, thank you guys very much. That's been uh, Improv Noise with our wonderful guest, Craig Kukowski. Uh Thank you again to all of our wonderful listeners. How do I know you're number one? <laughs> you, know, that's the thing. You, didn't have, you didn't have to answer if you don't want yeah, okay. We don't want to force it to you. Just, uh, anyway, that's been uh, Improv Noise, and uh, tune again next time. Peace out. <laughs> <laughs>